Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is a message brought to our church by a guest speaker. We hope that it is a blessing to you, and we would love to hear how God has used it in your life. All right, I'm going to read in Isaiah 6 in just a moment, but I want to read a verse that we made mention and reference to several times last night. We even read the verse, and I'm going to give you a chance. You were here last night paying attention. If you weren't paying attention, it'd be good to go ahead and say amen anyway when I read the verse. But here we go. It's a great verse to say amen on Exodus. I just want to read it to you, 15 verse 11. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the little G-O-Ds? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Amen. And Isaiah chapter 6. In the year, verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it, above the throne, stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Let me pray with you, please. Our great God, I come to you again, and I don't mean to just come and pray right now because I always pray right after I read the text. I do mean to come to pray because I certainly need you. I need your help. I need assistance. I need unction and power, utterance. I know I I can't do this on my own. I can't. uh, To be effective, it's obvious you are the one that has to make it effective. So I... I ask you, just let me be a piece of pipe tonight and that you would speak through this pipe to all of our hearts and you would have your way with us. We won't fight you or wrestle with you. We would say yes, surrender to whatever you speak to us about. God, you know the value and the power I believe this truth has tonight. I believe, I ask you to Put that on my heart and help my heart and my mind to understand and grasp more of it tonight. And then you'd help me to communicate it where those that are willing and ready to hear and listen, that they too would be affected and infected by your truth. Those that are not saved, I know, I know you love them. And I ask you to touch them, bring a conviction on them where they'd stop fighting you and they'd understand their need and they'd want to be forgiven. So we love you tonight, Jesus. Thankful, so thankful you love us. And we do look forward to when we get to see you. 
We know it's soon, very soon. So please have your way tonight. And it's in your mighty and holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Part of what we worked on last night anyway is to get in our heads, try to comprehend just a tiny bit that because we have something called holiness, we have something called justice. Because holiness is perfection, perfection automatically causes there to be justice. Only perfection can do true justice. If we do not allow holiness to be the standard, then all other justice is predicated upon a human awareness of their ideas and their philosophies, and there are no humans perfect. So we talked about that, and I tried to get that across uh, last night, and I want to put this in our brains again. My friend Eric Doucette said that justice is the administrator of God's holiness. Because he is holy, there is something called justice. And because there is something called holiness, that means there's something that's called uh, unholy, not holy. And so if there's something unholy, then there needs to be some kind of administration to that which is unholy. Just, is everybody with me? And justice is that administrator. For there to be justice, and there is administration of justice and holiness, that means there has to be judgment. Amen? If there is no judgment, there's no consequences of justice, and so holiness is inept or it's unnecessary. Is everybody with me? Now, I'm not trying to be super philosophical on you, but my brain thinks this way, and I feel like if my brain can catch it, so can yours. So we have these levels that are taking place. Now watch. God has been taking a stand against unholiness. Here's another way to say it. He's been taking a stand against sin from the beginning. God has been judging unholiness from the beginning of time. Because there is something called unholiness. If we're not going to be swept up under the condemnation of God's holiness, his justice and his judgment, then, then there's got to be something called forgiveness. Amen? Because none of us are holy. So we need something that's called forgiveness. Here's another, oh, here's something else. We need, we, we need something called salvation. Well, no, there's even more. We, we could use something called revival. Amen. Praise God, we need all three of those. And I just want to say all three are available. Bless his name. 
So it is God's holiness that demands that he stand against sin. It's his holiness that demands his justice. His justice demands that his judgment against unholiness. No, 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 no. If he's truly holy, he cannot excuse unholiness. If he's truly holy, he cannot overlook sin. Oh, well, it gets us in your brain. If God did overlook unholiness, if he overlooked sin, when would anyone be guilty? When would anyone be evil or wicked? No, no, you're, you're, some of you are not with me. If God were to overlook our sin, does he have the ability to do that? Well, he's God. But his holiness doesn't give that liberty because his holiness is perfection and his holiness cannot overlook it. If he overlooked it, he would have to be perfect in his overlooking, and he would have to overlook everybody's. No one would be guilty. Listen to this. Listen, don't, don't, don't lose me. Don't argue with me a bunch. Just listen to it. If God gave someone a second chance, he'd have to give everybody a second chance. All right, can you tell me anybody that God hasn't given a second chance to? The truth is, he's given everybody second chances. If he did not give a second chance, the first time they committed something unholy, we would call it sin, Iniquity, evil, he would wipe them out right then. Since you're breathing air tonight, he's giving you a second chance. Amen? Um, in the study of the Bible and having other teachers and so on help me, I've learned there's something called that God always, always, always has given space for repentance. When someone's sins, boom, it's not over right then. He gives space for repentance. Everybody with me? That's another way to say it. He gives space for another chance. Amen. Mercy. See, uh, if God overlooked sin he would have to overlook everybody's sin but when God gives space for repentance or he gives space for a second chance doesn't mean he overlooked it because there will be a day of reckoning there will be a day of judgment Justice will be served. Mm, but see, those outside of Christianity, they, can't underst they cannot understand God. 
And in my notes, I have these three letters with three exclamation points. Duh. <laughs> they cannot understand God. See, they often ask this, if there really is a God, why does he let evil people get away with their wickedness? Why does he let evil people kill all those people like that? Is everybody with me? If there really is a God, why does he allow them to do these horrible things? If he was God, he could stop it. Well, he is God. And he could stop it. And since he is just, if he did begin to punish and bring judgment to all those who are wicked and take them out, when he got to your door, what would he do? If he's just, equitable, fair, honest. If he wipes out one because of their sin, He's got to wipe out everybody. Is everybody with me? Well, if God is really God, why is he letting him get away with it? If you're breathing air, he's letting you get away with it. Well, I'm not as wicked as they are. It doesn't matter. Have you sinned? Are you holy? No, you're not holy. You're not perfect. Because he is perfect, his judgments and his justice must be Perfect or fair, equitable, impartial, true. So throughout all of time, God's holiness has been seen in the judgments that fell upon those who violated his laws or those who were, uh, they turned their back on him or you could just say like those who were unholy. Throughout all of time, all you got to do is look at history. See, God's holiness, listen carefully, God's holiness demanded the expulsion of Adam and Eve out of the garden. They sinned against God. And because of that, he's holy, he's just, judgment was, you are now dead in trespasses and sin, and you are now removed from the garden. You do not have access to the tree of life anymore. Wow. Wow. What about the universal flood? Genesis 6 in Noah's day. Does anybody remember the number? How many people survived uh, the, the big flood? Eight. Eight people survived. That doesn't seem fair. What about all those other people? Did God give them space for repentance? 200 years Noah preached righteousness. 200 years he gave them space. And they all said, no, only, God only counted eight to be righteous. Time out. Just excuse me this minute. I am so fed up with these crybabies that want to argue all the time. Well, what about other people? Do you believe God's holy? Well, maybe. 
Do you believe if he's holy, he's perfect, and his wisdom is perfect, his judgment is perfect. If God said there's only eight people that are righteous, ah, there's only eight. Well, this doesn't seem fair. God is God, and see, all of us crybaby little humans want to argue with him and complain about his holiness, his righteousness, his judgments, his wisdom. Everybody hear me? And we're foolish people to argue with God. But because the mighty little human is so powerful, we stick our finger at God and say, you are not fair. Yes. What about the total destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? Why did he do it? Because he's holy. And his holiness demands justice. And justice demands judgment. Mercy. What about Achan? They marched around Jericho and the walls fall down and all the first fruits, everything belongs to God. It's all been sanctified, set apart. Holified, it all belongs to God. And Achan thought, well, this looks good. This way to go. These clothes look good. I'll just take them. Nobody will miss them. I'll hide them in my house. Is everybody with me? Achan, his wife, his whole family, all were taken out. God had them wiped out. Why? Because God is holy. Well, this doesn't seem fair. Yeah. The part that's not fair is why didn't he wipe us all out? But because he's perfect. See, anytime anybody's in discussion and argument and debate with God, they, they refuse to accept that he's perfect. They refuse to accept that he's holy. What about Ananias and Sapphira? Some of you might not know who they are, but there's a husband and wife. That's awesome. At the church, there they were, boy, mercy. They, people were bringing, people were selling stuff and bringing it to the church and say, here, distribute it among the, those who have need. I'm, I, I sold it. I'm bringing everything here. And then and then on Sapphira, nobody was required. No one said, all right, everybody, everybody here, go sell everything you have and come back. Nobody you didn't have to. But Ananias and Sapphira thought, Hey, this is cool. We ought to help people too. So they agreed. Ananias comes in and says, hey, here, we want to give this offering. We sold, everything. We sold all this stuff, and we're giving everything to God. Peter says, uh, you mean like this is everything? You mean everything? Oh, yes. Bam. God killed him right there. Just fricasseed him. <laughs> It's incredible. How would you like God to do offerings like that today? Did you give 10%? Yeah. Does anybody hear me? Did you give what you said you would give to faith promise? Yeah. Well, that'd mess up church services, wouldn't it? Good night. So... They carried Ananias out. They carried him out right then. And then his wife comes in. 
And she's going, oh, this is... And they go, hey, Safari, did y'all sell it the property for this much? She said, well, yes. And carried her out. Why would God do that? He is holy. Well, Brother Dave, how come that he wipes some people out and some people he doesn't? He's just. He always gives space for repentance. How much space is he going to give me? I don't know. I'm still breathing air. I don't deserve to be breathing air tonight, folks. I know me. God could have and should have and might as well have wiped me out a long time ago. But in his grace and mercy, his holiness, his justice has given me more and more and more space and more grace. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Somebody say amen. amen. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mercy. All right, now turn with me to uh, Romans 1, where your ribbon thingy bob is, right? All right, we're talking about God's judgment. And what we're getting ready to look at now, this is my favorite part of all week that I'm going to try to get across to you. This is incredible. If I, By God's grace, I'll be able to get this across. Romans 1 and verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Wait, wait, wait. Some of you are just missing and so on. And I'm disappointing you five boys right there. Y'all don't have a Bible. Y'all don't have a phone with a Bible on it? Is there not a Bible in your... I'm disappointing you guys. Is there any Bibles laying around? They're in the back of the chairs? Okay, guys, lean up there and get one. Share, I guess there's only two. Miss Anita, Miss Anita, would you get a Bible out in front of you and turn around and throw it at those boys? I mean, give it to them. This is so good, guys. We need to catch this. And I don't know who else didn't have a Bible. If you don't have one, you better get one before I see you. So, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Nita. Hey, Damon. All right, take the Romans one, guys. If you find it, tell me what page it's on. What page is it on, fellas? Mateo. One thousand six hundred fifty-five. There's Spider-Man. All right. <clears throat> Look at it again. We got these guys to catch up. Verse eighteen. Here we go. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now look up here. The Bible just said God's wrath is revealed. We can see it. And what is his wrath about? His wrath is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now let's just be honest in here. If you would admit tonight you're not holy, say amen. amen. You're not holy, so watch, you're unrighteous. God's wrath is revealed from heaven. His wrath is powerful, it's big, it's full. But he showed the planet earth, he revealed it, 
How did he do who, who did he do it against? He said, I'm doing this against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. It says it right there, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. God has revealed his wrath. We get to see it. Listen carefully. It was not done in a corner. It's not done somewhere where no one knows anything about him revealing his wrath. Well, I didn't know he revealed his wrath. I don't know anything about that. No, it was done in public. It was done on such a stage that all humanity has bumped up against it. The revealing of God's wrath against sin has divided history into two distinct halves. We have before Christ and after his death. Look at Romans 1.16. Look at 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Look up here, look up here. Did we all catch it that it's the gospel is where the power is? That's where the power is. And, and what does it do? It's the power of God unto salvation. Well, salvation about what? Salvation from our condemnation because we're not holy. Well, no, no, no. Look at verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Stop, 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 stop. Where is therein? For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Where is it? Say it out loud. Someone said it. No, where is therein? Where is, what is he talking about? For therein, where, where is, therein's got to be someplace. In the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. It's for everybody. The righteousness of God. Well, what is the righteousness of God? It's his holiness. It's his perfection. It's his purity. Is everybody with me? Watch, watch, watch. In the gospel is where God's righteousness is revealed. Mercy. If I say, if I say the word gospel, what does that mean? It means that's where Jesus died and he was buried. And he rose again. 1 Corinthians 15 says it like this. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The gospel always includes, it always includes the cross. The cross is where Jesus died. Therein at the cross is where the righteousness of God is revealed. The way to be made righteous, the way to be made holy is at the cross, at the cross. Is everybody getting that? Amen. Therein, therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Verse 18. Look what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. God's wrath was revealed at the cross. What wrath was revealed? His wrath from heaven. Oh, what is God, what, what, what's, he, what's his wrath stirred up about? The, all the ungodliness. 
all the sin of us humans. Can somebody say amen? amen? If you and I could get this in our little brain, that at the cross at Calvary is God's righteousness was revealed. God's righteousness, His holiness, His purity was revealed. That's how a person gets saved is by God's righteousness, not ours. And God's wrath is revealed at the cross. Righteousness is made available to every human. It says it here to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If you're not a Jew, you're a Greek. It's revealed for everybody. When we look at God's holiness, wait, 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 don't lose me here. When we look at God's holiness and we look at his justice, Time out. Remember justice? Justice is the administrator of God's holiness. Justice holds the M16. Is everybody with me? He's the administrator of God's holiness. The place of greatest significance and the greatest outpouring of God's justice is in the death of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you know that, Brother Dave? Because that's where the wrath of God was revealed against all ungodliness. It's on the cross. We see the fullest extent of God's utter hatred and his detestation of all sin and all iniquity. We see his reaction. We see his righteous character to all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. Watch, watch. At the cross, we see the terrible wrath poured out on his only begotten son as he bore our sin. He who knew no sin became sin. Whose sin did he become? Not his. Well, whose sin did he become? Listen to the gospel again. Christ died for our sin. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight I'm telling you the wrath that God poured out about my sin was poured out on his son at the cross. When you and I devalue sin and we devalue God's judgment, Justice, and we devalue God's judgment, we're devaluing the cross of Jesus Christ. We're acting like it was no big deal that Jesus died for our sin. No, ladies and gentlemen, it's a great big deal. Listen carefully. God had, he had to pour out his wrath on his son. He had to. There could be no leniency. When the Lord Jesus became sin, God had to pour his wrath out. Did you hear me? If Jesus didn't become sin, it's no big deal. But because he became every sin I've ever committed, God's wrath was poured out on his son with no leniency. God's righteousness his holiness demanded justice. And his justice demanded judgment. And what Jesus Christ did on the cross was he experienced his own wrath 
against sin in my behalf. There's a Puritan, and the Puritans in our old uh, dedicated uh, writers, um, and their, their, their religious activity is so far different from mine. Anyway, there's a Puritan named Stephen Chalmers, and I want to read to you what he wrote. I, I would have not pictured it. I wish I could. I wish I could have been the one to write it, but he, he wrote it, and it's Puritan kind of language. You're going to have to pay attention, but I hope that you get the picture that he wrote. Listen to what he said. Not all the vials of judgment that have been and shall be poured out upon this wicked world, nor the irreversible sentence pronounced against rebellious demons, nor the groans of the damned, give such a demonstration of the hatred of sin as the wrath of God let loose on his son. You want to see how much God hates sin? Look what he did to his son, Jesus. Wait, 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 wait a minute. God hates sin with a perfect hatred. With holy hatred. He does not ignore it. He does not overlook it. He does not excuse it. He does not tolerate it. His holiness, his justice, his perfection demand wrath against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Well, if that's the kind of God you got, I'm just not interested. Well, listen, crybaby. You're... He's holy, you're not. And if you're not interested, well, one of these days, you're going to stand before this holy God, and he's going to say, I never knew you. And you will, he will cast you into the eternal lake of fire, which lasts forever and ever. Well, if that's the kind of God he is, I don't want to have anything to do with him. I'm going to throw people into hell. And see, that's why the reason people say that, they don't understand holiness. They act like he's just some grandpa in a rocking chair and he's like a genie in a bottle and he just, you know, he waffles around and he gives some people good, he gives some people bad. He's, not, he's nice to some people, he's not nice to other people. No, 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 he's holy. And every bit of his character and all of his attributes are holy. They're all perfect. And that holy perfection knew that humans like us could never be holy on our own. So he had his son pay for all our unrighteousness so we could be made holy so we could be made righteous mercy God's divine his wrath his wrath and his divine displeasure against sin watch wrath is the consequences of his justice justice is the consequence of his holiness Holiness demands justice, justice demands judgment, and its judgment demands wrath. And the purpose of, listen, the purpose of wrath is to inflict punishment. This doesn't, no, he's holy. And holiness goes all the way down that there is judgment and there must be some kind of consequence, punishment for unrighteousness. 
But if you acknowledge the wrath that God put on his son at Calvary, upon his son Jesus, and you accept Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you accept that wrath that Jesus endured in your place, and you experience forgiveness and salvation, you can escape the wrath of God. You'll never have to suffer God's wrath. But if you reject God's gracious gift, he has allowed, he allowed his son to bear all the wrath in our place. If you'll accept that, you can be forgiven. If you don't accept it, you will experience eternal lake of fire, and it's called eternal. It's everlasting. You don't get out. Every, watch, watch, every, oh, every human is going to experience the wrath of God one way or another. You'll experience the vicarious death that Christ did it for you, or you'll experience on your own because you didn't accept what he did for you. Every human will experience God's wrath I'm trying to decide, evidently I'm going to read what another Puritan writer said. Before I read that, let me finish this statement. On the cross, Jesus Christ endured more suffering than all the suffering of mankind. The Puritan said, never did divine holiness appear more beautiful and lovely than at the time that our Savior's countenance was marked in the midst of his dying groans. This he himself acknowledges in Psalm 22. God turns his lovely face from his son and thrusts that sharp knife into, the, into his son's breast that formed that terrible cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? See, the holiness of God is revealed in the gospel and the cross of Jesus Christ. The justice of God is revealed in the cross of Jesus Christ. When we see such holiness, when we see such love, when we see such forgiveness, it ought to do to us what it did to Isaiah, that we fall on our face and say, Whoa, woe is me. Thank you, God, that you provide purging forgiveness from our iniquity, from our sin. Amen. I told you I was going to, I'm, I'm, anyway, I, last night I said I'm going to mention just a little bit more about the seraphims. I'm going to do that right now, and that will conclude, that will bring us to our conclusion. Those seraphims. I like, a, I think people from Britain pronounce it seraphims. And I think it sounds cool when they do it with their accent and then so on. It's really, but I'm just a country boy. It's a seraphim. 
But these seraphims, they are heavenly creatures. You know, when you look up uh, in Strong's Concordance and you try to get some help with the definition there, you know what they're, one of the pictures is? Burning ones. It's like they are, they're creatures, but they're torches. They're on fire all the time. They're just burning. They're, and it's like this eternal flame that is around the throne of God. And they cease not day and night to cry, holy, holy, holy. Unique creatures with six wings. Do you know the only place the seraphims have ever lived is at the throne of God? Are you aware of that? It's the only place they've ever been. They've never known sin. They don't know anything of sin. They've only been around God's holy, eternal throne. And yet, the Bible says... With two of their wings, they cover their eyes. It's as if the holiness of God is so pure, it is so brilliant, it is so splendific, it's so amazing that they cover their eyes, they don't look upon him. But one of the ways that commentators have said these seraphims cover their eyes, that he is brilliant in his holiness. But it's also that they are humble before God. They recognize they don't deserve to look upon the Almighty. And then it says, with twain they cover their eyes, with twain two of the other wings they cover their feet. And the idea is they know they don't deserve to stand before such a holy God. He is so august in his majesty and his perfection. They are not worthy to stand. And then it says with two or with twain they did fly. They were ready to do the bidding of God at all times. At all times. Listen, listen. Here's what I want me to get you, me and you together from that. If some creatures that know nothing about sin, they know that they should be humble before God. Surely creatures like me and you, that we know a great deal about sin, and we understand that God's Son endured his, God's very wrath against him in our place. It seems like when we understand how holy God is, that we too would humble ourselves and bow before him and our service to him would be ready rather than argumentative rather than indifferent seems like that we would be ready and on time on fire anytime God what do you want from me here am I send me tell you Moses Lake, need, Moses Lake needs Jesus I know there's a lot of churches here and I know a lot of people go to church but I'm telling you, a lot of people need Jesus. They need to know that a holy God is still holy, and they're not. But this holy God, in all of his perfection, allowed he poured his own condemnation, his own wrath against his own son. And watch, it was revealed at the cross. Tonight, as you and I ponder how holy God is, and that event that, that took place at the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, listen, one of the words the Bible calls that is the gospel. 
And the gospel makes it evident. God manifested his love to me in the gospel. It's incredible. He manifested his love to you in the gospel. Christ did that for you individually. I know we like to be corporate about all this and say it's everybody's. I'm telling you, though, it's me. It's privately me. It's embarrassingly me. I'm the guilty one. I'm the sinner. God's wrath was poured out on his son because of me. And his forgiveness is available to me because of what his son did for me. Seems like that we would humble ourselves before God and say, God, I need a revival. I need a revival of recognizing who you are, recognizing what you've done, recognizing who I am. You that are not saved, oh, friend, I don't know how to paint the picture any better. It's the best I can do tonight. I, I, I wish I had more vocabulary, but I'm telling you, the best I can do is God's wrath was poured out on his son. And every, all the world knows it. It happened at the cross at Calvary. And if you would acknowledge you're a sinner and believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and acknowledge that, accept that, trust him, believe him for forgiveness, you can be made whole of God. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.